0: The Speckled Band by Sir Arthur Conan
1: Doyle. Dramatized by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. In glancing over my notes of the cases in which I have studied the methods of my friend Sherlock Holmes, I cannot recall any which presented more singular features than that which was associated with the well-known Surrey family of the Roylots of Stoke Moran. It was early in April in 1883.
2: Come along, Watson. Wake up.
1: Holmes was standing, fully dressed, by the side of my bed.
2: Holmes? Oh, what on earth's the time? A quarter past seven. Oh, dear. Is there a fire then? No, 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 no. A client. Oh. A young lady has arrived in a considerable state of excitement who insists on seeing me. Hmm? Now, when young ladies wander about the metropolis at this hour of the morning and knock sleepy people out of their beds, I presume that it is something very pressing which they have to communicate. Should it prove an interesting case, you would, I am sure, wish to follow it from the outset. Oh, my dear fellow, I, I, I wouldn't miss it for anything. Mm.
1: I rapidly threw on my clothes and was ready in a few minutes to accompany my friend. In the sitting room, we found a lady of about thirty, who was indeed in a state of agitation.
2: Good morning, madam. My name is Sherlock Holmes. This is my friend and associate, Dr. Watson, before whom you can speak as freely as before myself. Pray draw up to the fire, and I shall order you a cup of hot coffee for your shivering.
0: It is not cold which makes me shiver. What then? It is fear, Mr. Holmes. It is terror.
2: Well, you must not fear. We shall soon set matters aright, I have no doubt. Uh, You have come in my train this morning, I see.
0: You know me, then?
2: No, but I observed the second half of a return ticket in the palm of your left glove. Uh, You must have started early, and yet you had a good drive in a dog cart along heavy roads before you reached the station.
0: What? You do know me, then?
2: No, no, no. Don't be concerned, madam. There's no mystery. (laughs) The left arm of your jacket is spattered with mud in no less than seven places. (laughs) The marks are perfectly fresh. There is no vehicle save a dog cart which throws up mud in that way, and then only when you sit on the left-hand side of the driver.
0: (laughs) You are perfectly correct. I started from home before six and came in by the first train from Leatherhead to Waterloo. Sir, I can stand this strain no longer. I shall go mad if it continues. Do you think you could throw a little light through the darkness around me?
2: I shall do whatever I
1: can.
0: I must say that at present it is out of my power to reward you for your services, but in a month or two I shall be married, with the control of my own income, and then you shall not find me ungrateful.
2: Uh, My profession is my reward but you are at liberty to defray whatever expenses I may be put to at the time which suits you best. Now, will you lay before us everything that may help us in forming an opinion on this matter?
0: Alas, the very horror of my situation lies in the fact that my fears are so vague and my suspicions depend so entirely upon small points. I
1: am all attention, madam.
0: My name is Helen Stoner, and I am living with my stepfather who is the last survivor of one of the oldest families in England, the Roylets of Stoke Moran. Mm,
2: no, the name is familiar to me, yes.
0: The family was once very rich, but successive generations squandered the fortune. Only the house and grounds remain, and they are crushed under a heavy mortgage. Yeah,
1: not an uncommon tale, I'm afraid.
0: My stepfather obtained an advance from a relative and took a medical degree. He went to Calcutta. Where he established a large practice, it was when he was in India that he married my mother, who was the widow of Major-General Stoner. Ah, yeah, I
2: thought the name seemed familiar, but he has not stayed in India.
0: Oh, he could not, Mr. Holmes. Violence of temper has been hereditary in men of the royalet family, and in my stepfather's case, it has been intensified by his long residence in the tropics. In a fit of anger, he beat his native butler to death. Oh, He only narrowly escaped a capital sentence. After a long term of imprisonment, he returned to England.
1: I hope not to practice again.
0: He tried. But after my mother died, he had no need. She had a considerable sum of money, which she bequeathed to Dr. Roylott, but only while my twin sister Julia and I resided with him. You might think that would be enough to calm his temper.
2: But it is not.
0: He has become the terror of the village. Two of a series of disgraceful brawls ended in the police court. And last week he hurled the local blacksmith over a parapet into a stream.
2: A man of strength as well as anger. Then. He
0: befriends gypsies and lets them camp on the estate. And he even indulges his passion for Indian animals by having at this moment a cheetah and a baboon wander freely over the grounds.
1: Extraordinary.
0: You can imagine poor Julia and I had no great pleasure in our lives. She was 30 at the time of her death, and yet her hair had begun to whiten, even as mine has.
1: Ah, so she is dead. I'm so sorry.
0: It is of that I wish to speak to you. Two years ago, on a visit to an aunt she met a major of marines to whom she became engaged. My stepfather offered no objection to the marriage, but within a fortnight of the day that had been fixed for her wedding, the terrible event occurred which deprived me of my only companion.
2: Uh, Pray be precise as to details.
0: It is easy for me to be so, for every event is seared into my memory. Only one wing of the manor is inhabited... And the bedrooms there are on the ground floor. Of these, the first is Dr. Roylett's, the second, my sister's, and the third, my own. There is no communication between them, but they all open out into the same corridor. The windows of the rooms open onto the lawn. Do I make myself plain?
2: Perfectly, sir,
0: That fatal night, Julia could not sleep, so she left her room and came to mine, We chatted until 11 o'clock. As she rose to leave, she asked me if I had heard any one whistle in the dead of the night. And had you? No, but she had, for several nights past, a low, clear whistle at about three in the morning.
1: Did she know where it came
0: from? Either from the next room or the lawn. She wasn't sure. Then, saying it was of no consequence, she left. And a few moments later, I heard her key turn in the lock.
2: Indeed. Was it your custom always to lock yourself in at night?
0: Always. And why? I mentioned to you that the doctor kept a cheetah and a baboon. We had no feeling of security unless our doors were locked.
2: No, that's quite, right. well, quite so. We, we, we pre-proceed.
0: It was a wild night, and I could not sleep the wind was howling and the rain beating against the windows. Suddenly, amidst all the hubbub of the gale, there burst forth the wild scream of a terrified woman. It was my sister's voice. Julia, what is it? As I rushed into the corridor to go to her room, I heard a low whistle, such as my sister had described, and a few moments later a clanging sound as if... A mass of metal had fallen.
2: This whistle and metallic sound. Or could you swear to it?
0: It is my strong impression that I heard it. And yet, among the crash of the gale, I may possibly have been deceived. My sister's door was open, and she appeared at the opening, her face blanched with terror, her hands groping for help. As I ran to her... Julia! Her knees gave way and she fell. Her whole body was convulsed as if she was in dreadful pain. She suddenly shrieked out in a voice I shall never forget. Oh my god, Helen, it was the man! The speckled (laughs) man!
2: Those were the exact words?
0: covered her consciousness.
2: Was your sister dressed?
0: No. She was in her nightdress. In her right hand was found the charred stump of a match and in her left a matchbox.
2: So she had struck a light and looked about when the alarm took place. That is important. And what conclusions did the coroner come to?
0: The room was examined carefully. The door had been locked on the inside, the windows shuttered and barred, even the chimney closed up. It is certain that my sister was quite alone when she met her end. Besides, there were no marks of any violence upon her.
1: How about poison?
0: The doctors examined her for it, but without success. Ah. It is my belief... That she died of pure fear. Though what it was which frightened her, I cannot imagine.
2: And this allusion to uh, a speckled band? I don't know.
0: Sometimes I've thought it was merely the wild talk of delirium. Sometimes that it referred to a band of people. Perhaps to the gypsies. Perhaps to the spotted handkerchief so many of them wear. Mm
2: -hmm. These are deep waters. Uh, Go
0: on. After two lonely years, I am myself to be married in the spring. My stepfather has offered no opposition to the match. But two days ago, some repairs were started in the house so that I had to move into my sister's room and sleep in her bed. Imagine, then, my terror last night when I suddenly heard the low whistle that had been the herald of her death. I sprang up and lit the lamp, but nothing was to be seen in the room. I was too shaken to go to bed again, so I dressed. And as soon as it was daylight, came to ask your advice.
2: Uh, You have done wisely. But have you told me all?
0: Yes, all.
2: Miss Stoner, you have not. You are screening your stepfather.
1: Holmes pushed back the frill of black lace which fringed our visitor's hand. Five livid spots, the marks of four fingers and a thumb, were printed upon the wrist. Oh, my goodness. You have been cruelly used.
0: He is a hard man. He hardly knows his own strength.
2: This is a very deep business. We have not a moment to lose. If we were to come to Stoke Moran today, would it be possible for us to see over these rooms without the knowledge of your stepfather?
0: He spoke of coming into London today. It is probable that he will be away all day.
2: Excellent, excellent. Uh, You're not averse to this trip, Watson? Oh, by no means. Uh, Then we shall both come. You may expect us early in the afternoon. Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: My heart is lightened already since I have confided my trouble to you.
1: Mm. Hmm. Watson, what do you think of it all? It seems to me to be a most dark and sinister business. Dark enough and sinister enough. A short time afterwards, the case took a new and unexpected turn.
2: What in the name of the devil?
1: Our door was suddenly dashed open and a huge man framed himself in the aperture. So tall was he that his hat actually brushed the crossbar of the doorway, and his breadth seemed to span it from side to side.
2: Which of you is Holmes? My name, sir, but you have the advantage
1: of me. I am Dr. Grimesby Roylott of Stoke Moran. Indeed. Great to take a seat. I will do nothing of the kind. My stepdaughter has been here. What has she been saying to you?
2: It is a little cold for the time of year. What
1: has she been saying
2: to you? But I hear the crocuses promise well. Ah, you put me off,
1: do you? I know you, you scoundrel. I have heard of you before. You are Holmes the Meddler. Holmes the Busybody. Holmes the Scotland Yard Jack-in-Office.
2: Your conversation is most entertaining. When you go out, close the door, for there is a decided draft. But I will go when I have had my say.
1: Don't you dare to meddle with my affairs. I know that Miss Stoner has been here. I am a dangerous man to fall far of. See here. Dr. Roylett stepped swiftly forward, seized the poker, and bent it into a curve with his ah. huge hands. See
0: that you keep yourself out of my grip.
2: He seems an amiable person. <laughs> If he had remained, I might have shown him that my grip was not much more feeble than his own.
1: As he spoke, Holmes picked up the steel poker and, with a sudden effort, straightened it out again. Ah. Fancy is having the insolence to confound
2: me with the official detective force. I only trust that our little friend will not suffer from her imprudence in allowing this brute to trace her. Mm. Now, Watson, breakfast.
1: And high time much excitement on an empty stomach
2: and then I must get some data to help us in this matter we will meet again at Waterloo at one o'clock Ah, oh, Watson you're
1: very punctual yes I've checked the trains the next month of Stoke Moran leaves in a few minutes excellent did you find what you wanted oh yes yes I have
2: seen the will of the deceased wife it is evident that, under its terms, if both girls get married, the doctor would have a mere pittance, while even one of them would cripple him to a serious extent. It has proved that Roylott is the very strongest motives for standing in the way of anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you, by the way, remember to slip your revolver into your
1: pocket? I most certainly did. Good, good.
2: And Edie's number two is an excellent argument with gentlemen who can twist steel pokers into knots. <laughs> mm. Ah, uh, this compartment would do nice.
1: Once at Leatherhead, we hired a trap at the station inn. It was a perfect day, with a bright sun and a few fleecy clouds. There was a strange contrast between this promise of spring and the sinister business on which we were engaged. We paid off our fare once Dr. Roylott's house came into view and continued our way via a footpath across the fields. It was here that we met Miss Stoner.
0: I have been waiting so eagerly for you. All has turned out splendidly. Dr. Roylott is unlikely to be back from London before evening.
2: Yes, we have had the pleasure of making his acquaintance already. Good heavens!
0: But he followed me then.
2: So it appears.
0: He is so cunning that I never know when I am safe from him.
2: Well, he may find there is someone more cunning on his track. Now, we must make the best use of our time.
1: The building had two curving wings like the claws of a crab. One of these, and the central portion, were in poor repair, but the right-hand wing was comparatively modern, and it was against this that some scaffolding had been erected.
2: There does not seem to be any very pressing need for repairs at the end wall.
0: There were none. I believe it was an excuse to move me from my room.
2: Indeed. Well, that is suggestive. Now, uh, would you have the kindness to go into your
1: present room
2: and bar the shutters?
1: Miss Stoner did so, and Holmes endeavoured in every way to force the shutter open, but without success. well,
2: Well, certainly no one could pass these shutters if they were bolted. Well, we shall see if the inside throws any light upon
1: the matter. Holmes ignored the first bedroom, and we passed at once to the second, that in which Miss Stoner was now sleeping and in which her sister had met her fate. Holmes's eyes travelled round and round and up and down, taking in every detail.
2: Where does that bell rope communicate
1: with?
0: It goes to the housekeeper's room.
1: Hmm, it looks newer than the other things.
0: Yes, it was only put there a couple of years ago.
1: Indeed? Holmes took the bell rope in his hand and gave it a brisk tug.
0: Well, this is very interesting. It is a
1: dummy. So it is. Fastened to a hook, just above where the little opening of the ventilator is.
2: Hmm. There are some singular points about this room. For example, what a fool a builder must be to open a ventilator to another room, when with the same trouble he might have communicated with the open air.
0: That is also quite modern.
2: Well, done about the same time as the bell rope?
0: Yes, there were several little changes carried out then.
2: Oh, they were of a very singular character. Dummy bell ropes and ventilators that do not ventilate. Hmm. With your permission, Miss Stoner, we shall now carry our researches into Dr. Roylott's chamber.
1: Once again, Holmes walked slowly round and examined everything with the keenest interest.
0: What is in this safe? My stepfather's business papers.
2: Oh, uh, uh, you have seen inside, then?
0: Some years ago.
2: There isn't a cat in it, for example.
0: What a strange idea. Oh
2: Well, look at the saucer of milk.
0: We don't keep a cat.
2: No, just a cheetah and a baboon. Yes, of course. A cheetah is just a big cat. Yet a saucer of milk does not go very far in satisfying its wants, I (laughs) should (laughs) say.
1: Then a small dog lash hung on one corner of the bed caught Holmes's eye. The lash was curled upon itself and tied so as to make a loop. What do you make of it, Watson? Well, it's a common enough lash, but I don't know why it should be so tied.
2: That is not quite so common, is it? Ah, when a clever man turns his brain to crime, it is the worst of all.
1: I had never seen my friend's face so grim, or his brow so dark.
2: It is essential, Mr. Ender, that you should absolutely follow my advice in every respect. Your life may depend upon your compliance.
0: I am in your hands.
2: Both my friend and I must spend the night in your room. What? Huh? Right, let me explain. Your windows will be visible from the village inn over there. Certainly. Mm. You must confine yourself to your room on pretense of a headache when your stepfather returns. And Then when you hear him retire for the night, open the shutters of your window, put your lamp there as a signal to us, and then withdraw into your old room. Oh. The rest you will leave in our hands.
0: I believe, Mr Holmes, that you have already made up your mind. Yes, perhaps I have.
2: Now, Miss Stoner, we must leave you. For if Dr Roylott saw us, our journey would be in vain. Oh. Uh, be brave. For if you will do what I have told you,
1: we shall soon drive away the dangers that threaten you. We had no difficulty engaging a room at the inn. We sat in the gathering darkness, watching for the signal.
2: You know, Watson, I really have some scruples about taking you tonight. There is a distinct element of danger.
1: Can I be of assistance?
2: Your presence might be invaluable. Then
1: I shall certainly come. Uh,
2: It is very kind
1: of you. Hmm. You speak of danger... You have evidently seen more in these rooms than was visible to me.
2: No, but I fancy I may have deduced a little more. For example, did you observe anything peculiar about Miss Stoner's bed? No. It was clamped to the floor. She could not move it. It must always be in the same relative position to the ventilator and the rope, for so we may call it, since it was clearly never meant for a bell pull.
1: Holmes, I begin to see what you mean. We are only just in time to prevent a subtle and horrible crime.
2: When a doctor does go wrong, he is the first of criminals. Oh, thanks, sir.
1: About nine o'clock, all was dark in the direction of the manor house. Two hours passed slowly away, and then, just at the stroke of eleven, a single bright light shone out. That's our signal. Come on there was a chill wind on our faces as we moved towards the house, the one yellow light twinkling in front of us to guide us on our sombre errand. We reached the house without incident, when suddenly, out from a clump of laurel bushes, there darted what seemed to be a hideous and distorted child. My God, did you see that? It is a nice household.
2: That is the baboon. Let us get inside before we encounter the cheetah. Shoes off, Watson.
1: Once inside, we had to sit without a light, for Roylott would have seen it through the ventilator. Watson. Watson, do not go to sleep. No, no, no. Your very life may depend on it.
2: Have your pistol ready, to in case we should need it. Do you know in every detail how Julia Stoner died? Or to say every would be an exaggeration, but certainly enough. At first I was misled by the idea of the gypsies, until it became clear to me that whatever danger threatened an occupant of the room could not come either from the window or the door. Well, then the evidence began to accumulate. The bell rope leading down to the bed, the ventilator that was so small, the bed clamped to the floor, the doctor's interesting creatures from India. The possibility of a quick-acting poison that only someone with knowledge of the East could detect. It all led to one conclusion. Now, we must remain silent.
1: The least sound might be fatal to our plans. How shall I forget that dreadful vigil? We waited in absolute darkness, and I could not hear a sound, not even the drawing of a breath. And yet I knew my companion sat open-eyed within a few feet of me. Far away, the deep tones of the parish clock struck every quarter of an hour. It was after three, before we heard another sound. The instant we heard it, Holmes sprang up, struck a match, and lashed furiously with his cane at the bell Up! Uh,
2: you see it, Watson! You see it!
1: I saw nothing but I heard a fresh noise. The whistle Mister Stoner spoke of. That's how he called it back. And... <coughs> God, what on happened? Well, that means that it is
2: all over. I bring your pistol, and we shall enter Dr. Roylott's room.
1: It was a singular sight that met our eyes by the light of a lantern. Dr. Grimesby Roylott sat in the chair, his chin cocked upwards, and his eyes fixed in a dreadful, rigid stare, at a corner of the ceiling. Around his brow, he had a peculiar yellow band with brownish speckles, which seemed to be bound tightly round his head. You see?
2: The speckle band.
1: I took a step forward. In an instant, his strange headgear began to move, and there reared itself from among his hair the squat, diamond-shaped head and puffed neck of a loathsome serpent. A swamp adder The deadliest
2: snake in India. Roylott is dead. Yes, yes, within ten seconds of being bitten, just as Julia Stoner was. But there was an inquest. Ooh, it would have been a sharp-eyed coroner who could distinguish the two little punctures where poison fangs had done their work. Let us put that dog-lash to its intended purpose around this creature's neck. Ah. And it can go back in the safe where it lives.
1: Ah, the metallic sound she heard.
2: Precisely. Now, now we can remove Miss Stoners to some place of shelter and let the county police know what has happened. Your attack must have caused the snake to come back through the ventilator and turn on its master. Some of the blows of my cane certainly struck home and must have roused its temper so that it flew upon the first person that it saw. So I am no doubt indirectly responsible for Dr. Grimesby-Roylet's death. I cannot say that it is likely to weigh heavily upon my conscience.
1: In The Speckled Band by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Heather Bell, Helen Stoner, and Sean Barrett, Dr. Grimesby Roylott. The Speckled Band was dramatized by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.